Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 161st episode of the Truth Island podcast. One of the long lost arts in both conversation and thinking is nuance. The world in the past few years has become a battlefield of all or nothing thinking. The ideological battles that are currently being fought are now starting to gravitate towards only the most polarizing of ideas where no compromise or contingencies are permitted. For instance, in the face of growing inequality, people are increasingly starting to favor more radicalized economic and political solutions that at one time or another might have had a happy compromise. The black and white thinking can also extend into people's personal lives where they either come to believe that they are solely responsible for everything or that society is entirely to blame. Most people fail to realize that life is often very complicated with us as individuals certainly playing a helping hand in our own success and failure. But at the same time, ignoring systemic social issues can also lead one to unduly blame or take credit for the things going on in their life. There are perhaps a number of reasons as to why people remain unable to deal with a world that has, a lar- that has large shades of gray. Some might argue that intelligence and the ability to see the similarities and differences in each unique circumstance remains imperative in being able to handcraft solutions. Others might point to the fact that many of us are guided by our egos and identities and sometimes allow these things to cloud our judgment. Joining me for a very nuanced discussion, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, I want you to tell me what you think of this quote. What may be true today need not be true tomorrow. Well, was was that said yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, <laughs> you always have a witty comeback. I love it, man. Like I, you know, for the folks listening out here, like I don't coach Kenny. I just say we're talking about this and he's already prepared. Like this man is a genius. He's able to, whatever topic I throw at him, it's already, he already has the encyclopedia downloaded in his mind. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I think it's very, it's very, the, the statement is, is true. At least should I say it, it, it's, it, yeah, what, what can, what, what, what can be, or what is believed to be true today can definitely be, you know, be proven, to be disproven the very, the very next week. So, yeah, um, um, things are constantly changing. Not all things. Some things just remain true periodically. It doesn't matter where you where you're born, what time you live, but some things do change. Yes, I, I think that's important because I think animals, I think other creatures on this earth, pretty much get that. They get that, like, oh, this wasn't like it was yesterday. Therefore. I should do something else. Like I'll give you guys an example. Um, Kenny knows that I've been dealing with a bit of a mice infestation in my apartment. And what I notice about the mice is that they never fall for the same trap twice. <laughs> like they they quickly figure out, oh, there's a sticky pad, sticky pad, no good. Me, you know, like I run around this. Like they're very adept at changing their strategy based on a new set of circumstances. So if I move the trap here, the mouse moves elsewhere. If I if I do this, it does that. And it's really like lightning quick. Like these mice can figure things out with exceptional speed and alacrity. They're just able to see that, okay, uh, this stupid human has put this here, therefore I'm gonna climb uh, over here. We as humans, on the other hand, we just don't get it. We, we kind of fall into this rut of like, well, 
if this has worked for me in the past, therefore it must always work. We, we don't actually realize that circumstances and situations are constantly changing. We kind of get into these rut and patterns of like, this has always worked and therefore it shall always work. And I feel that, you know, maybe in, when you were a farmer or something and like the seasons were pretty static, that kind of thinking was okay because you're pretty much doing the same job all year round. But as we, you know, are living in this really complicated world, I noticed that we're not adapting very quickly. I noticed that a lot of us are still hung up on, you know, oh, we should be communist, we should be free market capitalists. And I'm like, man, these are like 19th century ideas in a 21st century world. Humans, we don't really like change. I mean, it's one of those things that makes us, makes us incredibly uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, one of the questions is, should everything be subject to change? And, and well, I mean, things that don't naturally change, the weather changes, the days change your life, you change your body, and so forth. But when it comes to certain ideas, should, should those be subject to change? And um, if everything should be subject, if every idea, if you say yes, that every idea should be subject to change, then it, the question is, okay, what's, what, un, under what criteria, what, what's, what, what should be those elements or factors that inspire those changes? But if you say no, not every you know, not every everything should change, but some things. Then fine, we have to figure out what those some things are. And uh, but for humans, a, a lot of the time, you're right. We do stick to our ideas, you know, and we don't really. Most of us don't really challenge our own ideas. We just kind of osmotically pick things up either from our parents or our neighbors or our you know our basically our environments are are nurturing, and. Uh, and we cling to those things so tightly that any any change or any anything that threatens that threaten anything that threatens those ideas becomes we we we, we attack violently. Um, it's 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 very it's very it's very human. It's, it's what we do. So you're, you're I kind of hear that you're leaning on the side that it's not necessarily an intelligence thing it's more of an identity slash ego thing. Um, like if I was brought up as being a ardent capitalist, then everything must be capitalist. Or if I was brought up a communist, then everything must be communist. And if I concede that there's flaws within my thinking, flaws within my philosophy, then I'm basically destroying my own identity. And that's that's very difficult for us to do because we, we've been brought up a certain way. We have forged that, you know, another thing, I, and I, I, a long time ago, I did a podcast about the idea of labels. I think a lot of Americans, especially, are really proud of their labels. They're very proud. I am a progressive. I, I, you know, I am, I am a free market capitalist. I, you know, I am an objectivist. I am an, I, you know, I study Iron Rand. I study, a Mar I'm a Marxist. Like, like us Americans are very proud of our labels. We, 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 we wear them like, like, like 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 sports jackets or motorcycles like like check out my label you know i'm a neo-marxist or whatever and, and i yeah, think that yeah. this th this is a problem like this is an absolute problem because on one hand these labels make you feel good special and a part of some kind of unique clique or tribe but the only on the other hand it's destroying your ability to reason it's destroying your ability to avoid mousetraps yeah i can see that i mean it's this is why you know, one of the things that was written about Benjamin Franklin was that he didn't hold, uh, he says, uh, 
he didn't hold he didn't hold certain ideas too tightly. He held them he held them with a loose grip. Yes, um, I just and, ordered his bio biography, by the way, from the library. Uh, I've got I've gotten really interested in that. Like for some reason, I was watching like the John Adams series on HBO, and I'm like, I don't care about John Adams. I care about Ben Franklin. That guy looks like he knows what's going down. <laughs> like <laughs> he's a very interesting character. He and uh, I I. I uh, I just I just finished his uh, biography not too long ago, and uh, look I look forward to reading uh, the next person on my on my list is uh, Thomas Edison. Um, I like I from what I've heard about him he just seems like a very interesting person. But uh, back back to it is I we hold things very tightly, and uh, we hold things. And here here's the thing is that you know it is also it's not it's not I don't think it's just simply. An intelligence issue, or a, uh, or uh, you know, ego slash identity, because the ego is dealing with something too. When you when when your ego, an ego is like a wall, right? Or it's like a wall with spikes. It's you know, and you uh, know, it only comes up when it's defending something. The ego never comes up to to help you out. So let me help you out with my ego. <laughs> it's it's always to defend to defend one's oneself or one's something uh, held you know held in high regard by oneself and it's usually you know our how intelligent we are we always think well, it's also it's to defend and also advocate for a certain way of life as well i would say like it's defending the way of life and then it's also ad- like it's advocating for you know if 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 the world is operating in one way you might be advocating for it to operate in another way yeah but you know anything else can do that so reason can do that love can do that but ego doesn't do it for the sake of the thing itself. It does it for the sake of its own personal gain or its own personal attachment to it. So if you're advocating for a certain idea, it's because of your, your stake in that idea. Yes. Yes. No. And and what's funny, what's funny is that people will always advocate it for the form of government that will best suit their personal circumstances. You know what I mean? Like, like rich people will, argue for free market capitalism well why is that oh they're benefiting off of it right and poor people will be like uh screw this nonsense you know throw the table up upside down and like let's get what we want so people people just selfishly do argue for the philosophy that kind of basically will help them the most or make them the most powerful within that system yes like you know when you're poor it's like yeah tax the rich tax the rich and when you gain, like, you know, you, you, you stumble across $500,000 and all of a sudden you're rich, you're like, I, you know, I'm starting to reconsider my position. I, you I know, think- fellas, you know, fellas, I, I, I just don't think it's right that the producers. <laughs> yeah. Money, money makes people mature, so to speak, right? You know? <laughs> I, believe in, I believe in private property. I believe in ownership. <laughs> so um things change under circumstances and we we humans are very interesting when it comes to things like that so um and you find that you know when you're arguing with people they often think that my friend and i were discussing about something that he really likes and i do too but the reason i say he really likes it is because i have noticed it's very clearly in him that not only does he like it but he lives by it he says that when you are talking with someone or even in an argument where the person is for just wiping you, just wiping, wiping the floor with you, mopping, using you as a dirty rag and, and cleaning things up with you. He says, listen, I've come to the place in my life where I am, I'm really happy when the truth 
I'm, I'm more interested in rejoicing when the truth is spoken. It doesn't matter who speaks it, you know? So even if that is the case for me, it's, it's not the case for me because I, I like when I hear what's true. And I like hearing, I'm just, I just rejoice. He says it like this, rejoicing in the truth spoken. So or rejoice, and one of, another thing he says is rejoicing in, in excellence and ex truth is excellence. So, but that's not the case for many of us. Many of us, it's about our pride and our, you know, we, our pride is at stake and it's usually the, what we consider to be our level of intelligence. We think that if we lose an argument, we're dumb. Uh, sure, maybe, but does it really matter? The point is simply that we, 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 we find ourselves often defending things that's simply because our, our perceived intelligence is on the line, you know, or our reputation, quote unquote, is on the line. And uh, we end up holding on so strongly to something we should have let go of long ago. I, I, I love I love what you're saying. And I, I, I've seen that transformation a little bit in myself. I'm sure like most of us, when I was younger, I was probably more pigheaded and more like, you know, I probably took it more personally, like, you know, oh my God, I'm scarred and bruised, you know, but now it's like, I love when people mop the floor with me. In fact, those are the people who I want to be on the show more than anything else are the really, really smart people that disagree with me. And they actually mop the floor with me because I know when they mop the floor with me, I am going to come back so much stronger and better. I, I, I love this idea of being broken. I like, you know, I, I liken this to when Bane breaks Batman's back and he like, you know, has to like go into the cave and become a better version of Batman. Because is it fun to watch Batman just like, you know, arresting some bank robbers who pose no challenge? No, that, that, that's not fun. Like you want to see Batman go against Bane. You want to see him go against the strongest opposition humanly possible. And you want him to lose so that he forces, him, he, he pushes himself to come back as a stronger version of himself. And the way this works in philosophy is you always want to go after the biggest fish uh, that is presenting the biggest, the strongest argument. And the goal is not to win. The goal is to argue as strongly as possible and accept defeat if you are in fact defeated and then rebuild your identity, rebuild your arguments so that they're even stronger moving forward. Yeah, this is one of the important parts about friendship and having, surrounding yourself with not only good friends, but friends that are, that challenge you. There's, they're, they're, they're far more equipped to deal with certain things you have to learn from them. I was, I've been looking around at, for the past few years, at American friendships and trying to figure out where the disconnect is. Because I think there is some sort of a disconnect in, um, um, in modern day friendships. And, uh, and I realized that I came to the you know, conclusion or realization that when, when young men find these days, when they find people, young men or uh, peers that are better than them at certain things, they don't respect them, they don't admire them. They only seek to cut them down or they become jealous and walk away or become bitter and very it becomes a very grotesque relationship of you know passive aggressive comments and uh strange things happening so you find that when you find people who are better than you when you find people who are greater at doing greater at something than you are it's not a time to you know get yourself it's time to get yourself out of the way and you know, give honor to who honor is due, um, because at some points, this you're you're going to be good at something too, and they're going to want to learn from you. Hopefully, 
So yeah, I think you're right. It, it, it is it is nice. It's not easy at first. Hopefully, hopefully we get better at it. But it's not easy at first. But it is nice when you have people who are smarter, faster, stronger, and uh, because of that, not only push you to to work harder, push you to think better, push you to be, you know, uh, to grow, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, and so forth. It makes you a well-rounded human being. You know, our friends, our friends, especially male friendships, they make us better. So I, I do, I do agree that it's 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 very very nice to have people who are um, who are better than you in in certain areas, if not many areas. Okay, I, I like what you're saying, and I I think that you're right that we actually do have this uh, destructive tendency to destroy greatness. I, 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 I like I have this mental image image of somebody uh, taking the Mona Lisa and drawing like a mustache on her and just being like, well, if I can't create this Mona Lisa, then no one can enjoy this Mona Lisa. And I'm seeing a lot of that in society where people, you know, like are speaking things that are very complicated. They have new novel genius level ideas. And a lot of people don't understand those ideas or they're bitter that they themselves can't generate those types of ideas. So rather than try and understand those ideas or endorse those ideas, their default setting goes to destroy. If I can't produce this art, if I can't produce these ideas, if I can't, if it's not coming from me, it must be destroyed. We have a lot, we have, and I don't, I wonder if it's gotten, I wonder if it's always been that way, or do you think that there's something in our culture that has made that especially worse? You know, it's like, I, I look at some of these like correspondences between, you know, historical figures and they seem to revere one another. They, they don't agree with each other, but they, 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 there seems to be a level of decorum in which they write to each other and speak to each other that they're able to, to kind of concede points, change ideas. Again, I'm not saying that it's a, it's a happy marriage, but there's, there seems to be a, a, like a, a baseline of decorum that was in place that allowed the best ideas to kind of filter through. Whereas in our modern day, it's just like destroy anything that, that, uh, will upset my ego in even the faintest of ways? Or do you think it's always been this way? Well, I don't think it's always been this way, no. Um, and I can't really pinpoint where things began to change. I do know that there's, there has been a change. Now, you know, sometimes I think that young, that people today are so, I think we're so anti, it's like, you know, how the, you know, the generation after you know, the generation of your kids are they often reject your generation's ethics and traditions and, and your kids' generations reject theirs. And it's just this interesting cycle of change. So, and I think it's kind of like that because a lot of young people today look at those kinds of behaviors and they make fun of them. They think that it's silly. It's like the Mona Lisa, right? It's like you have this beautiful work of art, well, some might find it beautiful, but you have this beautiful work of art and people say, you know, the young mind says that, you know, it's, they don't see sublimity, they don't see the beauty. In fact, they don't want to see it because to them, it's almost a, it's almost a, an insult to their sentimentality, which is that there is no hierarchy and there is no height. Everything is, everything is low and should be cut down low. And so what the drawing of the mustache says so much because it's ridiculing something that has height, something that should be looked at as beautiful. But you, what do you say to a person like that? What do you say to a person who 
who thinks that their way is better and their way of cutting things down and making and removing how you say removing the um, the heights or the or the you know um, the majesty of something and cutting it down to baseness. It's really hard to communicate to a person like that because not only do they find themselves right, but the only way to communicate to a person like that is they've actually blocked themselves from receiving it because it takes it takes a certain kind of uh, a noble heart and mind to to receive those kinds of instructions, to receive those kinds of thoughts. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's really hard. So. Um, so when it comes to people today who are, you know, often who don't know how to revere and, you know, respect and really show each other honor, and they think that, and they think it's cool because, you know, it is, you know, the movies tell them that it is cool and so, so it is, but they find that there's always something amiss in them. There's always, there's always this longing for something greater, yet at the same time rejecting the greater because they've ridiculed the greater. And uh, so it's 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 a very hard place to be in. But if there's there's still wonderful people out there. I mean, I, I would say you know a handful of people that are just really good to be around, and uh, don't tear you down or tear your ideas down. Because especially when you're when you're a young thinker, people think you're being lofty and trying to be. You know, who do you think you are? I knew you when you were in diapers. I knew you when you I knew you when you used to drink your face stupid. It's like, okay, but that's not, I don't care anymore. That's not who I am. So it, it's, it's, it's important to have, it's important to have those people around you who still have honor, who still have some of the old ways and some of the old, uh, old, old ideas of honor. Yeah. You know, th this is, it's interesting what you said. And I think that uh, two domains where this happens a lot are the domains of philosophy and art. Whereas I'll, I'll be in an argument with somebody and I'll point out and be like, well, listen, man, you don't have to agree with everything that Plato said, but you got to give the dude credit. Like his book has survived for thousands of years. You know, you don't yeah. get to survive for thousands of years if you were just filling your book with a bunch of nonsense in there, right? So there must be some value and some truth. And then you could make the same argument about the Mona Lisa and be like, well, listen, dude, you know, this has been around for a hundred years. And that like modern art exhibition that was there in 2019, no one even remembers that anymore. Whereas everyone still knows about the Mona Lisa. And I try and break it down to them very logically that, you know, if something has survived for hundreds or thousands of years, and, and when I say survive for thousands of years, there's plenty of stuff that has survived thousands of years that we've forgotten about, fair enough. But if something has survived for thousands of years and we still cherish it and still refer to it, there must be something special about it. It's the same thing with Shakespeare. People, I don't understand it. It's just a bunch of, you know, old white men talking about, I'm like, okay, well, just hold on there for a second now. It survived hundreds of years and people are still referring to it. There must... There must be some value towards it. But I think what happens is that, just as you said, people can't step outside of their own ego and appreciate greatness that's emitting from elsewhere. They can't, they can't, they can't admire external greatness. They can only admire their own internal greatness. Yeah, that's base, that's it. And that's that's where the ego steps in. And you find that anybody with an ego is usually very insecure. So it's and insecure. I, I was telling, oh, you know, I, I meet up with a very good friend of mine every Tuesday mornings, you know, to we have uh, discussions uh, about all kinds of things. And I was telling him that 
uh, an, an insecure man is a coward. Believe it or not, I don't care if it's a small, and, and this is, you know, that's not a right, or, 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 you know, an attack on anyone. It's just what it is. If you're insecure, you're afraid, and you're afraid, you're a coward, especially if it's a continuous insecurity. And if you can't even admit you're insecure, you're double the coward. So an insecure man is a coward. An insecure man is a man who is always afraid. And what he does is to hide that fear, he has a bunch of different devices that he uses to, um, to mask it. So it's you very, you know, uh, very powerful egotist, um, um, a very powerful egotistical nature, a very, uh, how you say, usually it's humor and ridicule and, and, and uh, um, not just ridicule, not as, there's this kind of ridicule that's actually very light, lightning and fun and lighthearted. This is a bitter ridiculing. This is a ridiculing that when it spills out of the mouth, the, everybody around feels so gross and disgusted, not disgusted in the sense of, oh, I'm disgusted at you, but your heart, your, 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 your core, if you believe in a soul, your soul says something, the, the thing that just happened doesn't sit well with me. So you have these, these kinds of behaviors and, um, um, and they're, they're not, they're not, they're, they're not good. They're very dangerous to the people. Um, they're very dangerous to the people who are a constant recipients of that kind of um, air, unless of course you yourself are just well-adjusted, balanced human being, then you can deal with all kinds of people and go home and have a good night's sleep. But if you're not, it's very dangerous to you. And it's also very dangerous to the person who holds that kind of a heart. Because not only the, the danger is that they're always, they never see themselves because of, because of their own, um, because of their own ego, because, their e because of their own ego and their own fragility, they rarely ever look at themselves. They rarely ever see themselves in the correct lights. It's always everybody else's fault. So everybody else has got it wrong and they, they're the only ones who got it right. But people like that often can be very self-deprecating um, as well. But their self-deprecation is just a, is just a bitterness turned at themselves. It's not really a self-deprecating. It's 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 almost like a self-insulting way. And it's also it's just a very strange cycle of um, of, of, of 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 vicious human um, 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 behavior, you know, and. Uh, so I think I, you know, but and I find I find that this is coming, this is coming, this is this is the case in a lot of people's friendships, um, and uh, and it, it really it really you're, it turns out that friends don't they don't end up pushing each other forward, but holding each other back, and uh, it, it's very strange. I, I, I agree with you. I, I've, I've, I've come to realize that this is a very ugly truth that we, in order, in order to fulfill our own ego, it's like, it's this idea of like, in an ideal society, if, if we wanted to feel better about ourselves, we would view a friend that we look up to and be like, how do I learn that? How do I learn to think like that? Or, wow, I really like what you did here with this art. Can you teach me that? Or, or could you give me some insights or some pointers? Like that would be the ideal society is where you would have two, two friends 
running side by side. I think of like Rocky and Apollo running, running along the beach together, like each trying to outdo each other, but in a friendly competitive way. Um, and each knows when they're, when they're, when they have flaws and they work on the things that they need to improve upon. But now we've kind of entered this realm of friendship where it's like, well, I can clearly never beat you. So the only way that I can beat you is to tear you down and make you just as mediocre as myself. Like, like we're never, we're never going to be able to solve any big issues in life unless people can step outside of themselves and recognize truth that is not their own truth. That, that's the only way that we seem to be able to get out of this because if it's, if it's, if it, if, if we continue down this road of like, I've got the answers and anything else outside of my personal basket of answers is wrong. Well, we're going to have like 7 billion people living this way and thinking that each one of those 7 billion people is a special star and that they themselves have the answers, but it's only, it's only the stars that can look at other stars that actually make a, a, a coherent galaxy, I guess. Yeah, so yeah, you say coherent galaxy, coherent galaxy. Well, yeah, if we're not trying to, you know, cause each other into a bloody supernova, losing our losing our minds, and yeah, uh, well, <laughs> losing our losing our apes. But it's your NASA T-shirt. He, he, Kenny's wearing a NASA T-shirt. That makes my mind go to the stars right now. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I think um, it's very it's very interesting to watch. Um, I, I like being an observer of these things. It's very it's it's impossible. Or should I say I don't know that it's possible for me to change anything, but um, because at the end of the day, it's only the most you know the only the evidence. This is this is very scary, but it's 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 not scary. It's, it's it can be depending on how you are. But the truth is that the evidence of how the evidence of how you say who you are, the evidence of how you've lived your life, the things you've thought, the kind of person you've been, husband, wife, friend, father, whatever. It's not evidence in the moments. It's not the, the, the fruits, or should I say the, the, the end game is not evidence in the moment. It's you, it's, it's, it's where, where, where the conclusion is, is beautiful because it's, 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 when you, it's when you're in your 60s. Around your 60s, you find out if you've lived like, like a person is worth, has, has, is, is supposed to live, you know? You find out you've, you're not enough supposed to live, but if you've done well in your life, it's not, it's not about money. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. This is, 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 is your family, do you, do you, does your family love you? Your kids, do they look back and say, wow, my dad was amazing. Does your wife does your wife say I married like I married this guy and I I'm grateful I married this guy, you know you have your friends or do they do they still stick around do they still want to see you, you know is your heart at peace if you're if you're not at peace in your sixties, that's not a good thing, that's a very hard thing. Yeah, I, I hear you on this. Um, I have a possible solution to this problem, and maybe this solution requires 
bringing in lay people to assess truth. And I want you to hear the solution out. Sometimes I notice when you've got two people that are political ideologues and they're arguing with one another, sometimes the solution is to bring in somebody who knows nothing about politics, like a scientist or just a regular person, and let them decide what makes sense to them. And it's not because this person has like like has done more research or something. It's because they don't have a horse in the game. They don't have hair in the game. So sometimes when two people are arguing about something, bringing in a third outsider, a third person who doesn't have hair in the game, that person is actually able to speak truth just by virtue of like it's not their gray horse versus this uh, dark horse in, in, in they, they don't have any, they have nothing to gain or lose and their ego is not affected in any way because the person just outwardly says, I, I don't know much about politics, but I, I, I like what that guy is saying over there. That, that seems to make sense. So perhaps there's like ways, there's like a certain level because, because we're just such vicious ego maniacs, perhaps we can build some checks and balances where maybe, maybe if we have two artists that are arguing like what's the superior piece of art, bring someone into the museum who knows nothing about art and just ask them, well, what art do you like? Why do you like this? You know, and even if they don't have like the most sophisticated and articulate vocabulary to describe what they like, they're probably speaking the truth because they, they have nothing to gain or lose by, by what, what it is that they say. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I mean, I, I definitely understand. The only thing is that, you know, with, I guess the general idea still stands because with art, it's, you may find once one outlier somewhere in like the boonies, it's like, yeah, I like that one. It's like, you know, how could you possibly like it? It's made with blood and bird bones. Like, I just love it. It speaks to me, man. It's like, okay, sure, buddy. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he does, if he does like it, and then, you know, he does, but it's true that you may find more people gravitating towards a certain kind and just a fewer towards the other. But yeah, I think you're right. Having a third, that's why, you know, having a third friend, so it's good to have a one good, like one close friend and stuff like that. But it's always pretty nice to have a third, uh, a third, a third person in the mix because they um, usually, I mean, I like, they change the flavor. A third friend changes the flavor because I think it was uh um, it's one of, I, I forget, I, well, I had a conversation with a friend where we were talking about how, you know, he brings out a certain kind, he brings out a certain kind of Kenny in Kenny, and I bring out a certain kind of him in him. But then when you bring another third, when you bring a third person, the dynamic changes, because now this person brings out a certain kind of Kenny and brings out a certain kind of the other person. And so the, 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 the enjoyment of the friendship is changed and increased by the addition of a third, um, a third party, but, but that back to what you were saying. Yeah, but it depends on that third person, though, because if that <laughs> if that third person has a proclivity for Kenny, well, now Kenny has stacked the odds in his favor. So that third person has to be as, a as that should as that should be the case. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that third person has to ah. be a perfect ref. Okay, the third person has to be perfect ref because sometimes okay. I've seen people muscled in like. Because like sometimes what happens is that the two will gang up on the one unfairly. Yeah, so you no, have that, that's, that's true. That there, there is that. We, that's why it's always good to have honest people. You know, on, honest and fun people. Honesty without honesty without fun is. I mean, you might as well just be a clergyman. It's just boring. So <laughs> a little bit of fun to the to an honest man is is always a good thing. I so I, I agree. I think I think a third party would would definitely help. 
Um, and I think, you know, and even within, within, the, within the two parties who are arguing and trying to figure things out, a proclivity for honesty, a propensity for honesty will be very important. And, you know, I, usually I found that most of the things are coming, most, most of the time when I ask myself, you know, the solution to a problem that I'm facing or that I see, it's usually love. I've never, it, it's usually love. And so one of the things is that um, we can really learn to be loving towards one another. The whole idea of doing unto others that you would be done by is staggering because it really puts things into, how do you say this? It kicks the teeth out of your mouth because you don't, you don't really ever want to, you, never, you, know, you don't deal with yourself like a savage. You don't attack yourself the way you attack others. You don't, you're not suspicious of them. You know, you're not suspicious of yourself the way you're suspicious of others, you know? And then, so I think love really does help too. Um, that's, that's another problem. I, you know, I, I argue with people on Facebook quite a bit. And what I hate is that when I'm getting into an argument with somebody, they immediately assume that I'm a bad faith actor. That's the first thing, like, you know, you, you probably support this as well. Or, and I'm like, well, hold on now. Are you really arguing uh, based on what I said? Or are you, because if I, usually when someone expresses a point of view, people make assumptions that they must believe in all this other stuff as well. Like if you express one conservative view, the person you're arguing with assumes that everything else that you believe in is conservative and vice versa and vice versa. And that's, that's when we immediately ascribe bad faith intentions to the person that we're arguing with. We don't actually just argue on the merits of, of what they're saying. We automatically assume that they also carry all of this other negative baggage with them. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You don't, we don't, we, <laughs> we rarely argue with the man. We argue with our image of the man. So it's not in. <laughs> well, I love that. Man, that's good. Man. You put that on a T-shirt. That's really good. I like it. <laughs> um, so I think you know you're right. We don't. You know, we we always ascribe more baggage to the person based on what they said or what they're wearing or the tattoos they have. It's interesting. Human interaction is very interesting, and it's one of the most. You can study it. You can study it for for all your life, and and just have a really good time. Very, very. You can have. A, I mean, if you're emotional, you can have a very sad time. Sad time. But there are a lot of good things too. <laughs> oh, humans! All of us. Okay. Very last thing that I want to talk about. I don't know if we'll finish this in ten minutes, but here goes. I tend to believe in the idea, and I get this. It's not my idea. It's Plato's idea mm. that virtues are constant but the way that we represent those virtues changes. Now I'll give you an example of this. Mm -hmm. Justice. Justice is a constant virtue. It's a, it's a, it's a, we'll call it an eternal virtue. So mm -hmm. I want this world to be just. The virtue itself is eternal. However, what justice looks like has varied dramatically throughout the course of history. So, uh, you know, justice during the French Revolution was chopping some dude's head off. Uh, you know, justice in the 21st century might be a long trial and then you sit on death row for 20 years and you have like three appeals and then maybe you're sentenced to lethal injection, but then the judge comes in and reduces that to a life sentence. You know, so throughout history, what justice looks like has varied considerably. And I think that yeah. psychology has played a huge role in this because 
we used to believe, oh, it's an eye for an eye, like, you know, Code of Hammurabi is our oldest, our oldest thing, an eye for an eye. But as we learn more about psychology, as we learn more about emotional traumas, as we learn more about like how someone was raised in childhood and all this other stuff, our idea of justice begins to change dramatically. So I, I think that human beings can have eternal ideals or eternal virtues such as justice but the way that justice looks like is going to evolve as we learn more about science and the things that motivate people how, how does that sound to you well i think i think you're right that justice does not i the practice of justice i mean the, the, is often very situational i'll give you an example of code of Hammurabi problems okay an eye for an eye Let's say I, I deliberately stab out your eye. Hmm. That set of circumstances is quite different than if I accidentally stabbed out your eye. You get what I'm saying, man? So right, yeah. right off the bat, like if I was there in Mesopotamia, I'd be like, uh, Mr. Habarabi, what if it was a, an honest mistake? Do I also get my eye plucked out, even though it was a total accident that, you know, I accidentally dropped the, the nail or whatever? So that's an example where context matters. We want justice. Like that guy who had his eye stabbed, whether it was deliberate or accidentally, that guy deserves some form of justice. But the context is going to shape what that justice looks like. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, if that is justice. Justice is not this stoic break of an unchanging law because then it would be unjust. I mean, not unjust, sorry, unjust. Because here, if, you know... If, uh, if the eye is gone, let's just say the law just says an eye for an eye, and the eye is gone, doesn't matter whether it was intentional or not, in, or, or, or accidentally, right? It's like I didn't mean to stab his eye out. It was an accident. I just turned my sword hilt, just whoop, whacked his eye out. I'm like, geez, Louise, what am I supposed to do here? And he tried, tried putting it back. It didn't work. Um, even, <laughs> even tried some super glue. No, <laughs> no, no, it would, be, it would be unkind. It would be unkind. It would be it would be unjust to um, to deal out the same exact punishments to the one who did it accidentally as to the one who did it intentionally. But no, so so I agree with that. I think that's. Uh, but if you can remind me of your first question concerning going back to the justice, like I I think that people have difficulty distinguishing. Like they have a virtue. And they believe that that virtue should look the same throughout history and that that virtue should look the same within all circumstance. This might actually be an issue of you have to be really sharp and you have to ask a lot of questions and you have to kind of discern the differences between two separate instances. And I think that a lot of people and I don't this may not be so much ego, but you just have to be extremely sharp and being able to say why are the like the, you have like let's say you have a murder trial why is this murder trial different than that murder trial and you constantly have to be looking for the nuance and the subtle variations and the subtle differences in each of these instances whereas i think people have a default setting of being like well this thing over here is kind of similar to that therefore we should just do the same thing whereas i think a lot of people are not trained in looking at the minutiae details of why this murder situation is like this and that murder situation is like that and that's where I think people people misuse their virtue because they, they think that justice should always look like this when in fact every single trial, every single circumstance begets a different remedy. Yeah, I mean I, I think that's true, but it's it's 
is that it takes a lot of imagination and a lot of wisdom to deal with that, to see that. People, some people just don't see it. That's what I mean. A lot of people are just very, tell me what to do. Like, okay, the law says, you know, thank goodness we have laws. The law says this, that's it. You know, like we, um, some of those guys make the best cops and the best judges. But in many cases, they also make the worst cops and the worst judges. I mean, we have situations like, I think there was a, I forget, there was a short story once that I, um, oh, it's a short story by, um, ooh, man, he wrote the golden, is it the golden comb? I forget his name. Oh, Henry? Oh, Henry. <laughs> oh, Henry. I love that love name. It. I love his name, by the way. Oh, Henry. Oh, Henry. Oh, Henry. <laughs> oh, Henry. I like it. Very, um, um, very strong name. Oh, Henry. So the, the, there was a situation where he writes about this bank robber who was being chased by this hound dog of a detective. And uh, he catches up to it. You know, he's been on his trail for a long time. He, the, the, the rubber robs, does what he does. He robs a bank, disappears for a couple of years. And later, the, the detective finds a man who looks like him and starts following that man around just to make sure see whether or not it is him. And but the man's like, you know, he's living a living a di different life. He has like a he's working. He's about to marry a young lady uh, and so forth. And uh, a situation occurs where. Um, he has he has the opportunity to catch him perfectly, right? So this he the bank robber he finds that it is the bank robber. He, the detective finds that it is the bank robber, but he has no proof, no 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 definitive, no concrete evidence proof that it is in fact him. And so um, what happens was when while they're at the bank, the man gets trapped in the vaults, and. Uh, for some reason or the other, there's nobody, nobody in there around the time knows the code, the combination to the vault, right? So the detective is watching to see if this man would crack the safe because he's the best at cracking safes. And what does he do? Well, he, he cracks the safe, knowing fully well the detective was watching him. And if he did crack the safe, he would be going to jail. And so he cracked the safe and decided, well, that's it turns to the detective and says, well, I guess now you have your proof. Uh, you can take me in now. And the man says, refers, he says to him, I haven't, I don't, basically says, I have no idea what you're talking about and walks away. So he basically lets him go because he's seen that the man's life has changed. Now, I'm not saying that that's perfect. That's a perfect representation of justice. Because <laughs> justice would be a lot of it, paying back the, a, lot of, a lot of the money you stole. And if you know, did anything more than that, you don't have to be some identification, whatever, whatever. But the point is that to hold something, there are certain kind of minds that can hold things loosely enough and make those calculations in real time. Real time. Because justice and mercy are not so far from one another. So... There's a, there's a great demand. They're, 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 one of the interesting things you see in court cases, I saw one recently where this Muslim man had a son who was shot by a gang member. And while he was at the courthouse, he said to the man who shot his son, I forgive you and I wish you, and I wish you the best. And he hugged him. He forgave him. So every crime justice is as much a natural response as mercy. So 
And the, the, it's, it's, it's a very wise mind. It's a very, it's a very interesting mind. And this is not a very normal thing. It's a very wise mind that can make those real-time calculations, make those real-time assessments and respond appropriately. Yes, and I, I think that I, I, with the O. Henry story that you just shared, I think most lawyers and the detectives would be like, it doesn't matter, you broke the law, and that, you know, it's kind of like, it's like lay, it's like lay Miz, where the guy is given oh, 20 years. Another for, great example. Yeah, yeah, he's given like 17, 20 years for stealing a loaf of bread, and it's like, anyone with any shade of nuance in their mind would have been like, okay, well, obviously you were living in these really deprived economic circumstances that forced you to steal a loaf of bread to survive. And like, therefore we will give you a lenient punishment or no punishment. Um, but again, the, the, um, the, the chief detective or, or whoever is next. Yeah, um, Javier, what was his name? Javier, I think. Javier. Javier. Oh yeah, yeah, Javier, Javier. Javier, thank you. Javier. Javier. Javert is like, you broke the law, Article 32, Section, Paragraph 21, and you therefore will be sentenced to seven. You know, like, like most people, in this, yeah, yeah, most people operate on that level of justice. Like, they're like, you broke the law, and therefore, uh, you should be deserving of this punishment. And you have to be a fairly nuanced, and you also have to be very, you have to be spontaneous, you have to be nuanced, you have to recalculate, like I think of a GPS in your car, where that when you make a wrong turn, the GPS says recalculating, 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 there's a faster road, there's a faster route here. Most people aren't like that. They're just like, you broke law, you get punishment, and they don't, re they don't, the GPS in their mind doesn't recalibrate. And I don't know if that's necessarily an identity slash ego issue. It could be, but I think a lot of it is just not quickly enough calibrating to the nuance and the caveats uh, within those particular circumstances. Yeah. I, I, my, my GPS just yells at me, have the Mr. T GPS, turn around, fool, turn around. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I'm just, I don't have the Mr. T. <laughs> I wish I did though. Oh, uh, the Snoop Dogg. <laughs> you are here, so. Um, the, yeah, it takes it takes a lot of imagination. This is why this is so. This is part of what a proper education does. There, there are two types of education. There is the um, there's a very well known education. Go to school, read books, and blah 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 blah. But I don't even consider that a real education. But if it can accomplish something in you, that's beautiful and that's good. The, the but the the true type of education is learning learning about your, your world. And not just learning the information about your world, but learning the systematic, how you say, the foundational, the deep magic of your world in the sense of um, how you say, knowing how things fit together, learning what to love and why you should love it, learning what to detest and why you should detest it. I think that's what um, I think Aristotle said that. But there's another type of education. And that's this is this one is tricky and I'm not really going to go into it. I'm just going to say it. It's, it's a backwards education. It's an education that works behind that education. I'm not even going to go into that. If anybody understands what I mean, please let it be beneficial to you. Like deductive reasoning? No, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it, 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 it is that. It is like that. But the point is that that's what education does, is that it, it, it really expands the horizons of the mind and of the heart. You know, there, there's nothing, there's, if you read, Lemez, Lemez Rab, and you, and you say to yourself, man, that situation there, I don't ever want to treat anyone like 
Javert treated those two people. I never want to do that. There's your heart, there's an education being done to your heart there. Because, and some people would have never thought about that until they had recognized it in another character. Fiction does this to us all the time. We rarely want to be like the villains. Well, we all, and, and some of these days, we really want to be like the good guys. <laughs> but but that's, what an, that's what a good education often does or attempts to do, is to broaden the imagination to the point where one begins to understand that all that is lawful is not necessarily lawful, and that all that is unlawful is not necessarily unlawful. And it, it, you, 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 learn, you learn how to deal with this life in a in a beautiful way. I, I think I think you made another compelling argument for the importance of the arts, um, because I think that our education, our education system rocks at creating scientists and it rocks at creating people who master a set of facts, but how they apply those set of facts and how they have the imagination to imagine those facts in a multitude of different circumstances is actually something that's better done in fiction. Because I think in fiction, you're able to create very complex characters with multiple motivations and multiple circumstances. Whereas a lawyer doesn't really have that imagination. The lawyer just knows the law. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make them into robots. They're not, they're not complete. Like lawyers are smart people. No, they're not, they're not, not. Yeah, they're, they're not complete dummies. But I think fiction allows you to have a set of laws and then show, create instances and create circumstances where those laws might be unjust given this set of circumstance or these given parameters. And that's something that a lawyer just doesn't have time to do. They don't have time to imagine, well, what if there was a young man that was living in this neighborhood and, you know, like they don't, the, the lawyer is just not going through all of those hypotheticals they're just like well this person broke this law and we got to do what we got to do end of story that's where a society that is rich in nuanced art comes into play and that's why art is so important and i i think that if we had a culture that had richer art more, better novels better 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 and more nuanced character development it would actually strengthen us and, and enable us to think a lot better and be able to kind of deal with a lot of the shades of gray that we we have in this world uh i think we're gonna leave it there kenny it's been a great time thank you very much this concludes the 161st episode of the truth island podcast i'm aaron azrod